So the, you're in the Bardo for a maximum of seven weeks, and then each week you might go through a little mini-death. So, for example, like Terry died on Monday before noon, so that means every Sunday for seven weeks, we should do special prayers, you know, like the Chen Rezi and then or make offerings or something and dedicate it for him. Because if he hasn't had the, you know, those circumstances come together whereby he takes his next rebirth, then that's a real crucial time because you kind of leave that one mortal body and you take another. And so at that point, the karma can be changed. And so if we do prayers and things like that and dedicate for him, it like him cre- creates a, a very good kind of energy field so that his own good karma can ripen. Okay? And then at the end of the, the, the seven weeks, you know, that we usually do one big thing because then they say by that time, the person will have taken a lot to do yeah. It's so generally like with with the with the um, with the bardo. If somebody has a whole lot of negative karma and that's ripening for their next rebirth, the bardo is very short. Yeah, and um, similarly with the formless realm gods, those those very high level gods that have this incredible state of concentration and mental absorption then they don't have to even go through the bardo because they don't take another gross, grosser body in their next life. So the bardo um, is generally a rather confusing time uh, because some they have like a, a rather a more subtle body, so you just have to think of somewhere and automatically you go there. Yeah, except for into like a holy stupa or a statue or into the womb if it's, you know, if the circumstances haven't come together if you're going to be reborn as a human. But generally you just think of that place and you can go there. And, uh, and their body is, is, um, they usually take the body of like a, a young child in, in the future life. Like if somebody's going to be born a human, the bardo body will look similar to like a child of six to eight years old in the next life. And even if, like, they have the karma to be um, reborn as deaf when they are blind, when they're in the bardo, they still have all the senses. Yeah? But then kind of that karma really ripens when, when you take the grosser body. So it's, it's quite a confusing time um, because... You know, the mind's under the influence of, of anger, attachment, and ignorance. It's very uncontrolled. And you don't kind of know where you are and what's going on around you. Yeah. And so there's there's different texts. Some say that once somebody dies, they don't even, you know, have any identity with the past body. They're just identified with the bardo body. And other texts say that somebody you know, could not even recognize they're dead and still kind of have this identity with the last body and try and talk to their relatives, but they can't talk to them, you know, and the the relatives don't respond, so they get very, very confused and angry and upset, you know, and then at a certain point they, they realize they're dead. So there are certain Tibetan rituals, you know, where you kind of invoke the consciousness of the person in the bardo and then give them a lot of instructions on, you know, how to transfer their mind to uh, a pure land or, you know, to take a precious human life or something like that. Some lamas do those kinds of um, practices once the person's in the bardo. And then 
what happened this is a very interesting thing like like if somebody has the karma to be reborn as a human being and they have the karma to be reborn the child of certain parents then when those parents are making love it is this is very interesting because it's kind of freudian it's like if you have the karma to be reborn as a woman you're going to be attracted to the male and go there like it's something beautiful you know or if you're going to if you have the karma to be reborn as a, as a male then you're attracted to the mother and the bardo being goes there and then they kind of once they get there you know because they thought it was all great wonderful then they feel like really disillusioned and then they kind of leave the bardo be, bardo body and take rebirth inside the sperm and egg yeah. Well, the same thing you do when you when you fall in love with some guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, or when 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 you're attached to pizza, it's you know something looks beautiful, so you run for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so you can kind of see how because they say so often that that it's um, attachment that keeps samsara continuing. Although ignorance is the root of samsara, it's attachment that keeps it going on. Because when we're dying, it's our attachment to this body, a craving for this body, grasping for a next body that makes the karma ripen. When we're in the bardo, it's the attachment to a place that looks beautiful that draws us to that next rebirth. And like even if you're going to be reborn in the hells, at the time that you, you know, right before you're reborn there, your mind's attracted to it. It looks really nice. You know, like if you're dying and you're freezing cold, so you you die and you're craving warmth and craving warmth, you know, that kind of sets the impetus, the craving for the warmth, for karma to be reborn in, in the hot hellish realms to ripen. Yeah, or similarly, if you're craving cold when you die, because it's too hot out, then, it you know, that kind of craving sets the stage for that karma to ripen. And then also, once you're in the bardo, you know, the mind's attracted by a certain rebirth, so the bardo being, you know, runs towards that place to take the rebirth. Yeah, they say even like, like, um, let's say somebody who was a butcher in a previous life, then in the bardo, they, they might see sheep. Yeah, and they might run towards the sheep, you know, thinking, oh, this is great, I'm gonna go kill them, you know something and then they take rebirth as a sheep yeah so it's it's just this thing of like how how attachment how craving this yearning wanting clinging you know is what keeps this what keeps um this whole cycle of confusion going on and on and on um i wouldn't really call it a choice i mean for ordinary people we're kind of more just propelled. I mean, just kind of look how we live now. Yeah, I mean, we actually have a whole lot of choice, but in another way, we don't have much choice because we're just propelled by our, our likes and dislikes. Yeah, our attachment and aversion. So I think especially in the bardo, the mind is, you know, just, it runs for what looks nice and runs away from what doesn't. Oh, the, the a brighter being can see many, many things. Yeah, but it will only kind of run to take rebirth in the one where it's attracted to that. 
Yeah, but even if we're born in a really awful rebirth, at that moment when we're running for it, it looks great. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is this is like it, to put it into psychological terms. This is like somebody who gets into constant dysfunctional relationships. When you get into it, it looks great, and you keep making the same mistake again and again. So, like the bardo being, it looks great, so you run for it, and then you jump into this other gross body that gets born, gets old, gets sick, and dies. You know, so you're stuck with this body, which does this whole suffering trip on you. But at the moment when you were in the bar to running for it, it looked like Disneyland. Yeah? You know, even, you, you know, you're reborn as a hungry ghost or in a really, you know, suffering rebirth of some sort. So this is like really pointing out how clinging attachment just pushes us. Yeah? It pushes us. So many people have, you know, the idea now that we choose our rebirths to learn lessons. You know, like you're sitting on a cloud, and which mommy and daddy do I want? What lesson do I want to learn? You know, I mean, that's really glamorous, but that doesn't really correspond to the teachings. And if you look at our minds, it doesn't really correspond to what we are now either. You know, do we pick situations because we want to learn in them? Do we learn from most of the situations we experience, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we? Re- how much do we really choose the things that 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 are offered, and how much are we just kind of propelled by the force of our repetitive habits? So, wouldn't they all rather be born to wealthy parents? But they may not all have the karma for that. Yeah. So the person who was generous in previous life would have the karma to be reborn into a wealthy family. Yeah. Well, well, can you talk a little bit more about the meaning that I'm confused hmm. as to what karma one starts and one to end? What? Uh, well, it's kind of somehow like if you have a karma ripening, let's say, to be reborn as you know a human being in a certain place. Kind of, and then you take that bardo being body, somehow, I'm not sure exactly what if it is, if it's karmic energy or what energy, but somehow that doesn't go beyond seven days. So if you haven't been able to jump into the gross body yet, then, at, you know, at the end of that seven days, you dissolve back into the clear light, and then when you come out of the clear light, you take another bardo body. And the bardo bodies are subtle. Okay, they aren't gross like this one. Yeah? And so, does that answer your question okay? I mean, that's kind of all I know about the mini death. I I guess I just wonder if it's almost like the the consciousness is attempting to integrate into a new body, but Mm -hmm. there's not enough karma to bring it to fruition. Right. And I I don't know what role this has. I I wish I could find out what I think that's just kind of the way things are. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody designed the system specially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that's real interesting to help you understand rebirth and how this works is as when we're alive in a gross body, the gross consciousnesses dissolve into a subtle consciousness and then into an extremely subtle consciousness, which is the clear light. 
that extremely subtle consciousness has a very subtle energy with it. When that, that union of subtle energy and subtle consciousness leaves the, the body of the person who died, the subtle the extremely subtle consciousness becomes the perpetuating cause, like the substantial cause that transforms into the consciousness in the bardo. And that extremely subtle wind or energy that accompanies it becomes the substantial or perpetuating cause that generates the, the um, body of the intermediate stage. Before you die, you have an extremely subtle mind and energy. When that enters the body, they both continue. They're not the same. They're changing. And the mind becomes the mind of the bardo being except it's, it's slightly grosser than in the clear light stage, and the energy becomes the body of the bardo being, but it's also grosser. And then, let's say the person's going to be reborn as a human being, they, it, everything again dissolves, the, the, because the bardo mind and body are subtle, but they're not extremely subtle. They again dissolve into the subtlest mind, mind and wind, or mind and energy, and that is what joins with the sperm and egg, and then once it joins with the sperm and egg, again, it, it starts becoming grosser, and you get, you know, subtle minds, and then you get gross, gross minds, okay? So you can see there a little bit how the thing of rebirth works, and it's not a soul, it's not a self, it's not any permanent essential thing that's us that goes from one life to the next. But it's this thing, you know, because this subtle mind changing, 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 you know. Every moment in the barter, the consciousness is changing. And then the subtle energy and wind also changing, 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 changing. So that those things continue. And they, you know, so you get a feeling of, of how we go from one life to the next. And yet there's no person, solid personality that does that. Yeah? So... In the hell realms, for instance, I read descriptions of them and that kind of thing. But is there just normal, um, like, reproduction? Mm, no, hell realms, it's, it's called um, spontaneous rebirth. So you don't need a mother and father. See, that's why you don't need to wait so long in the intermediate stage. Yeah, because you don't need to to wait for them to make love and do this and that, you know. It's like you have the karma to be born there. It's spontaneous rebirth, and you just manifest that body right there. What about animals? I think a similar thing, yeah. You know, it's these, like the mother and father dog or cat, yeah. And then it's, you know. And, and this is why I think, you know, we have to be so careful because you hear people say, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to be a cat and sleep all day, you know? And it's like you have to be real careful what you think because in one way you do get what you want. And if you kind of have this wish of, oh, wouldn't it be so nice to be a cat, then in, you know, and you that kind of comes on strong at the time you're dying, then that thought, you know, propels you in the bardo to seek a cat body. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's it's like, you know, it's like making aspiration. This is why at the beginning of every meditation session, you know, or the uh, all our teaching things, we say that we aspire to become Buddhists for the benefit of others. So it's planning that aspiration, making that strong, 
then the stronger you make it, then the more that just kind of comes automatically in your mind. So if somebody is like wishing all the time to be an animal because they think it's so great because you don't have to pay taxes, you know, <laughs> then the kind of the conscious that there's that imprint real heavy and then that draws the mind towards that rebirth. And when we take rebirth as something, it's not necessarily just one karma. It can be multiple karmas ripening. Or even if it's just one karma ripening, there's all sorts of different cooperative conditions. You know, like the scene around you and maybe your own thought and your mood and different things that help that ripen, that draw you towards a certain body. And, and the prayers during that seven and Right. Our prayers and things like that, we don't create karma that then they experience. I mean, the karma we create by doing the prayers we experience, but it creates like a good energy field around so that their own good karma can ripen. Around what? Around the person, you know, like... The if, body, not the body. Or, no, around the consciousness. So before it leaves the body. Yeah, before it leaves the body, and also when it's in the bardo, if we do prayers and things like that, it's like... You know, that being knows that those things are going on. Their mind feels delighted. It helps their mind turn more towards the Dharma. So then it helps their own good karma ripen. Okay. Um, anything more? I mean, there's, there's a lot of different teachings about this. One important thing to mention at this juncture as we're talking about death, intermediate stage, and rebirth is that, um, this is an excellent time to practice, really excellent time, because it's a very powerful transition and lots of karma is ripening. And so if your mind is in a really good state when you die, you can really direct it towards a good rebirth so that you, in your next life, have the opportunity to continue to practice. Yeah, so it's very important that time. So like um, if somebody's based like their main practice is thought training, then when they're dying, they're going to really, you know, give all their possessions away and practice the taking and giving meditation and meditate on emptiness and make prayers to never be separated from um, the Mahayana teachings and teachers and conditions for practice. And, you know, and like as they're dying, do, do the taking and giving, meditate on emptiness so that then that really helps the good karma ripen that, you know, so that they have a good rebirth and can continue to practice in that next rebirth. If somebody's practicing um, Vajrayana, then this is like a really incredible time because there's a whole way when you do Vajrayana practice in which you meditate on a path that corresponds to death, bardo, and rebirth. Yeah? And so in the highest class of Tantra, you know, in all the meditation practices that you do every day. And this is the value of taking commitments, you know, like why the teachers give us commitments when they give us initiation is so that we actually do practice so that then when it comes time to die, we have some practice behind us, yeah? And so there's a whole way you meditate where you really imagine going through all the different dissolution stages of death, going into the clear light, meditating on the clear light, and then re-emerging as a Buddha instead of as an ordinary being. And so there's a whole way of doing this kind of 
meditation that's an analogy with death, intermediate state, and rebirth that you do while you're alive, and then when you, as you're dying, then you really practice it then, and then, you know, if somebody is well trained, they can have incredible results, and, and, um, really achieve very, very profound, um, realizations at that time. You know, because especially as, as you're dying, you're going into that extremely subtle mind, which is very good for meditating on emptiness. So somebody's, you know, well-trained in meditating on emptiness when they're alive and they're well-trained in recognizing all the visions that precede going into the clear light, then when they actually do it, they can do this meditation. And, you know, then when they, instead of taking rebirth, they emerge as a Buddha, you know, or with a Buddha's body. So there's um, a very, very profound practice in the Tibetan tradition, you know, when you meditate in this way. Yeah. So then they say for the real practitioners, you know, when they die, they're just, you know, so excited because this is, you know. Yeah? Yeah? Really? Really, you know? And I saw one monk in Dharamsala die. And, you know, I mean, physically his body was was incredible what was happening to his body. He was hemorrhaging inside in this junk. I mean, unbelievable stuff was coming out of him. But he was definitely meditating because he had... The two people who were taking care of him put him in the position of the deity and or in the position of the Buddha, you know, when the Buddha passed away. And I'm sure he was just doing his regular meditation practice at that time. And so some of his other friends, and I, I was able to join them, did the practice. The living ones did the same practice as he was dying and doing it, you know, when he was dying. Yeah. Uh-huh. I guess the feeling is just prepared for it, yeah, and let's say to get the teachings on doing this this meditation, then it requires an empowerment into the highest class of Tantra, which means taking Bodhisattva vows and Tantric vows, and very often the teachers, like I said, give you a daily commitment to do the practice, to make sure you do it. But we have the kind of mind that like when we hear, you know, some Lama's coming to town, the first thing we say is, what's the commitment? Is there a commitment? Because we don't want to take the commitment, you know? <laughs> yeah? Because then we feel burdened by having to do this practice every day. So, yeah? Or we, t- or we take bodhisattva vows or tantric vows, and then afterwards we go, hey, what did I do? I don't want all these vows. This is a super burden. So, you see, when, we're, when we look at the practice from the position of our life now, we don't want all that stuff. And this is why it's so important to remember death, you know, why that's so important. Because when you remember it, then you come up with a question like you just asked, which is, I want to learn how to do this because I know I'm going to die, you know. And then when you really have that wish and you want to learn how to do it, then the commitments, the vows, they aren't a burden, yeah, because it's something you really want to do. Because you see the benefit. And, but in the meantime, 
what we can do before we've taken that kind of empowerment is in the thought training teachings. They have, you know, the five forces at the time of death, and you can really train your mind very, very well in those, you know, so, so that you train your mind well in um, relative bodhicitta, the altruistic intention, and absolute bodhicitta, or ultimate bodhicitta, the wisdom realizing emptiness. And that we can do now. We've had teachings on that. Yeah. Relative bodhicitta, which is the altruistic intention to become a Buddha for the benefit of others, and ultimate bodhicitta, which is the wisdom realizing emptiness. Yeah. I always sort of thought of um, these things as sort of steps that you build upon, like start the Kenyana yeah. and the Mahayana. Right. That's it. Um, but then it, it seems like you hear about, well, like you said, so this is like a person that's coming to town and everybody can go and get their concert. <laughs> yeah. So, Come and get it, one and all. <laughs> yeah. This is one question I have. Yeah. I think my, I talked with, with one of the attendants of one of my teachers and he, ex- he thought that for people who are going to engage in a long-term practice, then the teacher won't give them tantric initiation real soon because this person is really going to do it long-term. And so with the idea to lead them gradually so that they can really progress in this lifetime, then the things are giving gradually. But in the West, and I think also, you know, in the East to, to kind of people who aren't going to practice in a committed way, then they often give these things with the idea that then at least the person has some contact with the Tantra and some seed in their mind. And even if they don't keep the vows, you know, at least there's some connection with it so that then in, in future lives they can again meet the Tantra and hopefully that time they'll be more prepared and, and can actually practice. So I think that's a lot the philosophy why they kind of give the things real, real open and publicly. Um, that that isn't the way it's always been done, yeah. And I personally have some reservations about that way, yeah. But 